Bald Men on Campus with Jay Billis, LaFonso Ellis, and Seth Greenberg. Welcome to Bald Men on Campus, off by platformed, world-winning, award-winning podcast with the great LaFonso Ellis, who has no lettuce. <laughs> Ellis, who has less lettuce, and yours truly, Seth Greenberg, who has been lettucely follicle challenged for many, many years. All right, guys, let's get serious here real quickly. Uh, lots of stuff going on. Uh, first and foremost, obviously, the news of Chris Mack uh, stepping down or being asked to step down at Louisville. I guess the first question is, before we even get into what he did, why didn't it work? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think it did work for a while. I mean, I was more interested in, in the Louisville side of this. Um, you know, Louisville has become, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but the, the word toxic comes into mind. I mean, they go through all this stuff. They've had all these, you know, all these difficulties over the years and it hasn't just been basketball. I mean, they had it in football for a while and, um, and then, you know, they bring in what, what everybody thought. And I still think was the clean Marine from Xavier and Chris Mack. And, and they pull the plug in four years, uh, you know, after pandemic year and all that, it, it just doesn't, uh, there's a lot of it that doesn't sit right with me, but, uh, but maybe there's a, maybe there's a good reason for it, but I'd like to hear the reasoning behind it because, uh, uh, look, I mean, almost anywhere can recover in a period of time because they pay so much money. So there's always going to be a good coach that's willing to willing to go there. But but wouldn't you, if you were at a good place now, um, think twice about taking that job, given what's happened there in the last uh, several years? I would. Yeah, for me, it's just interesting because uh, what, two years ago now, that team was what, 20 and seven? with an opportunity to go to the NCAA tournament. And I'm not sure if they were second weekend team necessarily, but a good team nonetheless. And uh, unfortunately hit with COVID uh, last year, I think COVID, they were 13 and seven, but all kind of COVID issues again. And to your point, Jay, um, it's, it's, it, it's almost to me like a North Carolina situation right now in steroids. Now, now granted, not from the from the standpoint of all the things that went on with Rick Pitino before and that kind of thing. But there's this kind of cloud of both uncertainty and what's the NCAA going to do? What's that violation going to be? Is that going to be a long term thing or a short term thing? And what I think it's hurting right now is, is recruiting. And uh, we look at the team out there. Um, that that's on the floor right now. And we've talked about it a lot. Uh, Malik Williams. Terrific player. I know him because he's from Fort Wayne. My youngest son played against him and shoot it from the outside. He's a good defensive player. But, Jay, we've seen a couple of people, Seth, in, in their program that we were expecting to have really good years this year, and, and it hasn't happened. So it, it's almost as if there's this um, – they're not getting the super recruit recruits out there. Then the guys within their program aren't developing. And you have all of this other stuff going on. And, Jay, I think the word that you chose uh, was – apropos is um, that it's a toxic environment right now. And it's, it, it's, it's a tough situation because I really like Chris Mack. I think he came into a tough situation uh, knowing that it was toxic, knowing there was uncertainty, knowing that uh, quite honestly, I mean, he's following a guy, Rick Pitino, who won a national championship. And, uh, but a lot of things were still 
in question. I mean, how long have they had to wait to get the NCAA to decide the direction of their decision? And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, it has impacted recruiting. Let's say every school that's been under an NCAA umbrella has been impacted by recruiting. You see yeah. at every single institution that's that that the longer it drags on, the NC State was in a similar situation. Mm-hmm. Almost in a similar, similar situation. Uh, it's just that's just the way it is because let's face it, in recruiting, you got to eliminate negatives. Well, it's hard to eliminate the unknown. Uh, and the unknown people are going to quite honestly use it against you. Mm-hmm. Then this summer they had the incident obviously with Coach Gaudio, uh, which mm-hmm. I think you know, me personally was handled poorly, which, you know, there's a real simple thing. The more you see your, your name of your school, your name on the, the bottom line, on mm-hmm. the ticker, mm-hmm. the more problems you have. Mm-hmm. And the more it's on, the harder, the more negative connotation, the more ne- negative imaging, the more difficult it is. And then, you know, you said, Fonz, I mean, like Samuel Williamson hasn't gotten better. Jalian yeah. Withers. Withers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Withers has not gotten better. Mm-hmm. So, uh and that is a proud, whether they realize it or, or understand it, that's a very proud fan base. That's a, a school yeah. that has an incredible, incredible expectation. And uh, he was put in a bad situation. Uh, we, yeah. you know, we all from the outside look and say, Louisville's a great job, great tradition, great facility, great practice facility, in a great conference. But when you have a cloud over your program, then you can't recruit. And if you can't recruit, you can't, can't win at the level they yeah. expect to win and then have internal turmoil within your staff. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, Malik Williams didn't help him last week when they asked him, you know, if coach right. lost the team and Agreed. he said, I refused to comment. Mm-hmm. You know, I think momentum is a hard thing to regain. Uh, look, mm-hmm. I, I experienced it firsthand, you know, gaining momentum is one thing, losing it's another, regaining it, regaining trust, regaining momentum. Mm-hmm. In the world we live in with social media and instant gratification and expectation yeah. is really, really hard. And I think that, you know, he went for whatever reason, uh, they lost he lost the trust of the boosters, mm-hmm. uh, the community and uh, that dark cloud that they were trying to get rid of kind of reemerged this summer. And I think just, you know, it's unfortunate because, you know, one thing people don't understand is, you know, have an opinion on Chris Mack one way or another, but Chris Mack's the only one's not being being impacted. His assistant coaches are being impacted. His yes. family, children, yeah. are having to deal with this, uh, and it's it's really hard on families. So, you know, I wish him the best of luck. Uh, yeah. I think it's difficult. Now, where do you guys think they go moving forward? Well, one more thing. One more thing on this. Look, we all serve at the pleasure of our employers, and and this is pro sports. You guys know how I feel about this. This is pro sports. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So I'm not I'm not surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm not naive, but I don't want to hear Louisville talk about secondary violations as a reasoning for this because it's not. It's, it's, it's not. It's not. And, and yeah, if they if they want to if they want to say, yeah. well, you know, a couple of managers were used to practice or whatever ridiculous secondary yes. violations. That's they right. Up. That's right. Um, that's not what this is about. And if they want to look as at how feeble and and ineffective that kind of thing is, look to Kevin Ollie's case because that's what UConn tried to pin it on. They lost twelve million dollars in arbitration, mm-hmm. and uh, and look how that worked out. Um, but but look, everybody everybody gets fired, and and I get it. Uh, I don't care for this. I don't think it's being handled the right way, uh, and I don't see this being something that uh, could not have or should not have. 
waited to the end of the season if it was going to be done. But um, but I'm I'm you know I, I'm sanguine about it. Uh, but but quit telling me not not that you guys are, but quit telling me that this is this is college sports is all about the kids and it's about education. <laughs> BS. Yeah. This is about the, the, this is pro sports. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you think, Chris? Chris came out and said, "I just read something before I came down here." That said that you know it was mutually agreed upon, and obviously mutually agreed upon. Jed, you know, would be up to kind of. Uh, is that a code word for, all right, we've come to an agreement in terms yeah. of separation, the amount of money? Yeah, it's a negotiated agreement. So whatever whatever happens, it won't be he's fired. It won't be he's resigning. It'll be, you know, mutual agreement. So they've agreed to terms uh, for his his removal and leaving uh, and and he'll be paid. Now, how much? I don't know if it'll be reported, but but whether it's the entire buyout or uh, a part of it. Uh, that that's that, that that's that's what that means. What it means for the future, as to you know, it's not like the the, the university can sign him some sort of confidentiality agreement. He's allowed, not allowed to talk to the NCAA, mm-hmm. so um, you know he'll he may have to do that uh, in the course of any any investigation about things, uh, if there is one. Um, so I, you know, to me, uh, uh, that side of it isn't necessarily over. But if all they wanted to do was move on from this particular coach and they were willing to pay to do it, uh, they got what they wanted. So now he, if he's gone, he's gone. Where do they go? Like, like to me, I, I think no brainer is going and do whatever you have to do to hire Kenny Payne. To me, right. he has community. Yep. He's, he has an incredible reputation, mm-hmm. high character, incredible mm-hmm. work ethic, great communicator, terrific coach. Uh, and he's, he's, he's a guy that can bring everyone together. He can bring the community together. He can heal the community. He's going to heal, you know, booster is going to be excited about it. Uh, the only negative is he worked for Kentucky, but then again, they hired a guy named Rick Patino who worked for Kentucky also. So, I mean, like to me, I throw that out the window. If it was me, that's the first phone call I would make. Well, he's a former player. And, uh, I, I know firsthand that, Several of the former players that played for Louisville all still live in the Louisville area, and they've been pining for even an assistant coach <laughs> that, that played for Louisville. So certainly not, and certainly this is a great opportunity to be able to bring in a guy who's a super connector. Uh, Seth, I remember going, my first Kentucky game I called, uh, I, I drove my wife and my youngest son down there. If you would have been kind of a guy just sitting back, you would have, you would have thought that Kenny Payne's known my family forever. And I, I, Kenny and I know each other well. We played against each other, but I'm, I don't know him intimately. And his ability to be able to connect with people yeah. and, and make them comfortable and a part of the deal goes into uh, why he's such an effective recruiter. And I tell you what, if they if they sign him, I think all of a sudden we're going to see him starting to bring in some dudes. My encouragement would be to him to kind of do the same model that Juwan Howard has done in Michigan. Go find a uh, former head coach who's knowledgeable about the business of it and knowledgeable about the, all of that goes into head coaching to help him bridge that gap. I think he, to me, I I think he's the perfect guy to go get for all the reasons that you said, plus the recruiting aspect of it. So there are a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of coaches that would be great there and would do a, would do a really good job. Uh, But you know, the criteria of, of having played there would be the last one on my list of criteria that I had in a coach. I mean, you could go around some of the most successful programs in the country and none of the coaches played there. 
Uh, right. You know, how, you know, like Mark Few didn't play at Gonzaga, and he had a bunch of assistant. Tommy Lloyd didn't play at Gonzaga. They had a whole, a whole bunch of guys that play at Gonzaga. They got mm-hmm. a couple now, uh, years later. But um, you know, I, unless I counted wrong, none of Mick, Mick Cronin didn't play at UCLA, and sure, none of his no, assistants did. Mm-hmm. And so, so to me, that doesn't matter. I mean, Kenny's been out of you know, Kenny's my age. He's been out of school as long as sure. me. Sure. And uh, so so not not having been there and all that stuff, I, I, I've never understood the fascination of, you know, quote, sort of staying in the family and all that stuff. You get the right, right. guy, uh, yeah. you know, the and and the one who started the family wasn't in the family at the beginning. Sure, sure. So so, you know, I, I, I've never understood that. Um, but, the, you know, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. When they start, when they start asking around, they're going to make they're going to make a number of coaches a lot more money. They're going to stay where they are, and they'll, <laughs> right, they'll dangle it out there, and they'll make a lot yeah. more money as a result of it. And Jay, yeah. I only mean it. I only mean it from the standpoint, as you guys know, I only live three and a half hours north and slightly west of uh, Indiana. And with that whole, the, even here in South Bend, with the number of Indiana fans that are here that literally drive that drive to go watch them play on a regular basis. Everyone was still living in the shadow of Bob Knight, right? And all the hurt that went on. And they couldn't move past that. And when we had that conversation a couple of years ago about who would be the right person to replace him, I thought Mike Woodson would be great. Not only not only did I thought he'd be a, a great coach uh, and, and really be able to connect uh, with today's players and run an NBA style and all that, but I felt because he was from the family, he'd bring some much-needed healing. And what I'm suggesting is, at least for the Louisville players who live in the Louisville area and all that's going on with the University of Louisville athletics, but particularly in this case with basketball, I think he would bring that same kind of healing with an opportunity to win that other coaches couldn't necessarily bring. I hear you, Jay. I don't, it's not necessary to do the job well. I just yeah. need it from that standpoint. Alone. And I'm not, I'm not arguing with anything you're saying nor disputing anything. I think that's sure. that's spot-on analysis of, of things and of of the way fans and, and boosters and people around the program and former players can, can at times act. But, mm-hmm. you know, to me, um, there's, there's a selfish air to that. And look, we've all seen it when the fans don't get what they want or yeah. boosters or former players, <laughs> they're more than willing to tear the program down to get yes. what they want. And maybe that's the best interest of, of it to them. Uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, but I don't get it. Uh, I just, I don't understand that. I, look, I agree with you, Jay, but they have a fractured community. They have a fractured fan base. They've got a fractured energy. Uh, and, you know, my thing with Kenny is, and, and Kenny's got 30 years of, of college coaching experience. I mean, I think Juwan Howard didn't understand the business of college basketball. He understood yeah. it. Matty was a great player. His kids were recruited. Uh, Kenny Payne understands the business of college basketball at the very highest level. He's got an incredible network. That's where he lived his coaching career until the last two years that he's been with the Knicks. So, you know, his understanding, you know, I just think that you've got to have someone that that community is wounded. That fan base is wounded. Uh, shoot. If I was them, I'd try to get Rick Pitino. Just joking. But I mean, I think Kenny Payne can coach. He can recruit. Yes. Uh, he understands the community. And more importantly, I think he can be part of that healing process because they got a lot of scars. That community has got a lot of scars and they like they turned on Chris Mack in two years. All right. But there's a big difference between Louisville and as, as great as as a job. And Chris did an incredible job mm-hmm. uh, at Xavier. Yeah. And so did and so did Skip Prosser. And, and so did, you know. Everyone that's been there and Pete Gillen and everyone that's, that's coaching. But when you coach Xavier, if you beat Cincinnati, that's a great win. All right. And if you're in the NCAA tournament, that's a great season. When you're at Louisville, 
All right. You got to beat Kentucky and you got to compete yeah. for a championship. And yeah. it, so they're different jobs. And I'm, I'm not saying Chris was more than poised for the challenge, but it's just a simple example of the difference of expectations. Save your great program, but they don't run in the same lanes as the expectation at Louisville and their rival is not Cincinnati in the American conference. It's John Calipari, Kentucky, and quite honestly, a rival, whoever follows Rick Pitino, he's not a rival, but he's part of the standard between Rick Pitino and Denny Crum. That's a hard standard to live up to and to feed into a fan base. If that makes yeah, sense. The, yeah, there's a standard. I get the standard, but there's also the timing. And when Chris yeah. took it, he took it when, mm-hmm. uh, like you're, you guys use the word fractured. I mean, part, yeah. the next question is who fractured it? And it, there was a lot of self-inflicted wounds there. Yeah, and uh, but but Chris was the one that that winds up holding the bag at the end of it. And I hope I hope for his sake he's holding a bag of money at the end of this. <laughs> and because uh, because I don't I don't think this is right. But but look, it's their program and do what they want. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not jumping up and down upset about it. That's their business. But um, you know, when they you know like when Louisville. You know, when you praise them, nobody says you're an idiot. If you criticize them, you know, that that's when that's when they don't like to hear it. Yeah. No, it's tough. And like I said, my thoughts are to his family and the coaches' yeah. families because that's really, really hard. All right. Last night, we saw uh, a really impressive performance by UCLA. Like, really perfect, uh, impressive performance. Watching that just – UCLA, we we haven't seen them really. You know, there were actually fans in the stands, which I think was huge, big difference in terms of the energy in the building. We all know that. But what's your first takeaway? What's the first thing that went through your mind watching them play the way they did? Because I thought they were phenomenal. Same thing as the beginning of the year. They're really good. And uh, and they're a contender. Um, with Cody Riley back. Uh, and, you know, he he knocked down a couple, you know, a couple jumpers and all that stuff and looked every bit as good as he did against uh, Gonzaga in the NCAA tournament last year. Um, you know, they're legit. Um, and I don't think that necessarily says any, like, Arizona didn't shoot the ball particularly well. They, they shot it really poorly. <laughs> it was a pretty physical game. Um, and, but, but you know, they they crushed them on the glass. They must have had 22, 23 offensive rebounds. I don't know what it was. I wasn't counting them while, I, while the game was going on, but they got a lot of second ones. And uh, and usually they would have would have made something out of that. So it wasn't their best, and you give UCLA the credit for it. But those are two contending teams we we watched, and uh, and I just I, I think it's it's just a reassertion of uh, of UCLA uh, as a contender for those that you know kind of stopped paying attention after they lost so badly to Gonzaga uh, in Las Vegas. I mean, I think there was a little bit of an off the radar feel to them uh, mm-hmm. after that game. Yeah. And uh, maybe a dismissal by some uh, fans of it, but uh, but they still have the they still have the bones of a, a championship caliber team. I, I we know this about them, but I, I continue to be just kind of struck by the fact that they have five guys on the floor who are threat to score on the offensive end, which makes it very difficult to defend. And uh, and and as good as they are offensively, I thought defensively they were terrific last Great. night. I thought they were terrific. I mean, there. Any time it looked like, 
even a Ben Matherin who's explosive uh, off the bounce, that he would have an easy layup. Uh, somebody's coming to block that thing last night. And, and, and I thought they did a great job in the second half. Speaking of Jaime Hawkins, uh, I thought they did a terrific job of taking advantage of. They set a couple five, four ball screens, and he just sprinted off that thing, got to the front of the rim. He's able to knock down the three. They're just hard to guard. And I, I, I thought, Jay, that Arizona, given the size that they have across their front line, would absolutely dominate them uh, in the painted area. And it, it just didn't happen. They did a great job of pushing Balo off the box, Coloco off the box, making them catch it a little bit further. So um, I, I thought they, with the exception of the, the rebounding, to your point, Jay, I thought they did a great job of neutralizing the size, the clear size advantage that Arizona had last night. And Tiger Campbell, whatever, that little elbow in and the mechanic uh, adjustment that he made on his jump shot has proven to be worthy because he's knocking that thing down, especially in the first half. Look, they ran great offense. They were efficient offensively. Obviously, when the ball goes in, you're efficient offensively. They didn't turn it over, which took Arizona out of the transition game where they're averaging 21 points a game. I thought the ball pressure, Krishna, I thought he struggled with the pressure on the basketball uh, and they pushed him out a little bit. Now, again, physical game, not physical game. I just thought that uh, they did a really good job disrupting a little bit of the rhythm. Um, some of that dribble handoffs and the high ball screen after the first four minutes of the game, when they scored like 16 points, Yeah, I thought UCLA's defense was terrific. And I thought they did a great job of spreading them out. You know, they had four guys outside that three point line, all that dribble handoff stuff. And then they flare in the weak side and they yeah. a mismatch and attack it. And uh, they did a good job playing inside out on post ups to Riley and relocating. I, I mean, the last real image we saw of two, two images we saw at UCLA was, let's face it, it was getting whacked by Gonzaga. And then it was playing in front of no one, uh, getting beat by Oregon. And I'll tell you what. <laughs> Paulie and with people in there is, is different. It's different. Uh, but the lasting image, the lasting image of the game for me was, um, you know, sort of the idea now that a coach in a suit and tie looks completely out of place. <laughs> Mick wears a coat and tie. Mick Cronin wears a coat and tie because he's sitting in the same seat that John Wooden did. And, and I'm looking at that going, God, that looks weird. And, uh, and it, I mean, did that cross your mind at all? I mean, every time I saw him, I'm like, why he's in a, he's in a suit and tie. Is he, is he, broad, he must be a broadcaster because you're in a basketball game. Cause we're the, we're, we're, we're usually the only ones in a coat and tie at a ball game. All I know is the suit and ties that he's wearing now are a whole lot nicer than the suit and ties he wore when he was at Cincinnati. <laughs> Well, that's because there's not that, that's because the streets are cleaner in uh, in Westwood. He can walk outside without getting a bunch of crap on his shoes. You don't have to worry about it. <laughs> I mean, like he's got that thing buttoned the whole time. Yeah, his right. matches. He doesn't yeah. have that red shirt underneath the black blazer. <laughs> I mean, come on now. I mean, biggest look good. I, you know, you know, like his, the shirt his clothes is Seth is right there in Orange County. So he's close to him right now, baby. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, you know, I actually, and you know, it's funny to talk to Kevin Willard about it. <laughs> I understand, but I swear when I see everyone in sweats and, and that look, it still looks like a scrimmage to me. I love <laughs> it. No, I, I, I know. I'm just saying it looks like, all right, let's go to, go to the next one real quick. So bat, bang a couple of these out before we get to the uh, SEC Big 12. Jay, I love that Duke at the end of that game, and I again, we weren't locked in, but I loved at the end of that game, Ben Carroll got the ball back-to-back times on the left block and scored. Uh, I think that's important just because they're going to play in a close game in the NCAA tournament. They're not just going to blow people out. So I think these games are great for them to figure it out 
anything from the game you got, you and Reese were there. Uh, anything from that game that just kind of struck you? Well, one, Clemson runs really good offense. That five out stuff they run yeah. uh, is, is really good. And, and actually, with the way they ran it, it was difficult for Duke to get ball pressure and get out of passing lanes uh, because they they spread it so well, yeah. they cut so well. Um, you know, I didn't think Duke was as sharp in the game against Clemson. You give Clemson the credit for that, but they weren't nearly as sharp as they were against Syracuse. Uh, both on either end of the floor. Uh, but, but you know, Jeremy Roach, that's like his third game with only one turnover. Yeah. I think he went three games ago, he had six assists and one turnover. Then I think he went nine assists, one turnover, and then nine assists, one turnover. And uh, so stepping in from, you know, kind of playing off the ball to getting on the ball, uh, I thought he did a really a fantastic job. And Bancaro was out in the first half with fouls. So he had two yeah. fouls, so he couldn't play much. So, uh, Duke was was playing some some different lineups. Trevor Keels didn't play at all for the second straight game after the Florida State thing. So, um, but in the second half, they isolated Bancaro quite a bit, uh, whether yeah. it's on the elbow, and they they did a little four or five ball screen with him and Mark Williams. Yeah. And then uh, you know late in the game, uh, they put him on the uh, on the left block yeah. and ran a cutter off him and curled it so that uh, the Clemson couldn't double. Yeah. And he just made a quick move baseline. I thought Hunter Tyson actually did a pretty good job trying to guard right. him, but it just showed it showed <laughs> you know, how physically imposing that Bancaro can be. And there's really yeah. no reason for Bancaro to to have any finesse in this game right now. There are a couple right. times, like a couple times when he tried to make these dribble moves where he's going to make two, three dribbles and juke yeah. and all that stuff. And go, man, don't do that. Just blow, right. You blow right through the guy. Right. Yeah, that's a one dribble move. But yes. he'll get that um, yes. because he's got everything else. And uh, <laughs> I can't remember whether they had 19 and 12 or whatever it was, but um, he uh, uh, he was he was really, really good in the second half. And that's one of those games that, you know, people can look at and say, oh, well, Duke didn't blow out Clemson and they didn't. Hard you know, they to didn't, play against. Yeah, Clemson's yeah. good. Hard to play And against. they're just not consistently good. Like that's that's the yeah. thing in, in some of these leagues is these teams can play really well. But but the the separating factor is they don't play really well all the time, yep. and so they have some differing results. But um, but they're good, and and Duke made plays down the stretch at the end of the game, and and that's what winning teams do. Yeah, Jay, when I was looking at the game, when I was looking at the game, um, you know, so, sometimes in the NCAA tournament, no matter how good you are, especially when you're playing against a good defensive team, kind of bogs down even when you have a number of players who can make plays like Duke does. I still think the emergence of Joey Baker's confidence in terms of his ability to knock down three-point shots is going to be really, really helpful because uh, I think he's playing with a greater level of confidence. You can kind of see the growth in his game. Uh, while he's been there, he's been exclusively a catch-and-shoot guy. And all of a sudden, if it's not there and you're in his face, he's giving you a little shot fake, putting it down one, two, three dribbles and pulling up or making a next pass. I think Joey Baker is going to be important for them, not only – for the balance of this this regular season, but I think he's going to be important for them in the NCAA tournament too. It's fun well, to watch. Drive, <laughs> yeah, that drive he made uh, from the left hand side, where he Batman. gave a little shot fake from the corner, and then drove it, you know, yes. a couple of dribbles, maybe three, into the lane, yep. and then he's shooting a hook shot. I mean, yeah, that was as game winning a shot as the one Bankero mm-hmm. made. I think that was yes. the second to last possession they had, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that was a huge shot mm-hmm. and uh, a bit really kind of a big time play. Yeah. All right, well, let's get into Kentucky, Kansas. So just let's kind of, Rick, because I don't want to go too long, but we're through the, the Big 12 SEC. And we saw Kentucky last night, Fonz, and, you know, that was a game we were all kind of locked in on. And, you know, getting banged up 
getting banged up. Savi Wheeler played. Ty, Ty, Ty Washington didn't play in the middle of the game. Jacob Toppin went out. Uh, they basically hung on. Kellen Grady yeah. makes two big threes, which mm-hmm. was great. Oscar Sheboy does what Oscar Sheboy. No, he. I don't even. I don't even know how to describe it. It's 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 like a joke. It's like the ball's a magnet, and and like mm-hmm. it just he finds it. Um, yeah. But now they're look, they're kicking up a notch, and they're going to play against the Kansas team. That's the best closing team maybe in the country, with best closer in the country, and Oshayabaji. What do you guys think is going to that game going to come down to? It's going to be speed on speed, assuming that uh, that that Tata is back, and even without him, with the way Severe pushes the basketball, I, I think I, I'm looking at it as that that's going to be one again at the at the four position to me. I know Jacob Toppin uh, can really guard, uh, but Jalen Wilson can do some things with the basketball about out on the perimeter. You can post him. He's got a mid game. Uh, I, I think that's going to be one on the glass, and it's going to be one at that position. Whoever wins that position is going to be the different the, the difference, and it's going to make the difference in that game. And I know they have two guys, Keon Brooks uh, and Toppin, that they can throw at Jalen Wilson. But I think he's he's got his legs back now. He's got his mojo back, and I I, I think he's poised to have a big red remainder of the season. And I think Kansas will win that one at home. Well, I think it's going to come down to Kentucky's health. If they're healthy, uh, they're going to have a great chance to win that game because their guards are better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the Kentucky puts out lineups that can score at all five positions, and yeah. and Kansas doesn't always do that. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Dewan Harris is doing a great job, but he's not a scorer, right? And, uh, and you know, when Remy Martin comes in there, he's more of an attack yes. mentality point guard yeah. and guard, and so he can he can really score, but. Um, you know, you put you put Xavier Wheeler and Ty Ty Washington out there healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I favor Kentucky's guards in that one, but yep. um, I think it's going to come down. There's going to be a lot decided by Oscar Sheboy and David McCormick. That yep. that uh, if one can attack the other and maybe pick up a couple fouls, because um, Seth, your point about Sheboy, you know, I, I mean, I, I kind of marvel not at the athletic prowess of his rebounding or the effort. Both are marvelous. But what I marvel at is how smart he is, because I'm not seeing him have to rebound out of his area that much because he positions himself so well. Like he's so smart with putting himself in the in, in the position of where the ball is most likely to come off the rim yes. that that he doesn't have to he doesn't have to chase it. Um, you know, and, and, um, you know, you guys know there, there ain't no luck in rebounding. Uh, it, it's not going to just come to you that many times. And the fact that he's grabbing so many that are in the, in his, in his general area are, that's because he's really intelligent with the way he positions himself. Jay, he even took one from one of his teammates last night. Always does it. And you should, you, you know, what used to drive Fonz, I bet you're the same as me. You know, what we used to really piss me off is on a missed free throw when a yeah. guard would try to would try to grab the rebound from you. And you're like, dude, get away from me. Yeah. Like I wouldn't mind elbowing a teammate of mine. Like, you don't you don't need this damn rebound. I, I do. You don't get judged by this rebound. I do. And this is a freebie. So get your yeah. ass out of here. This is my rebound. It's like the last shot of the half. Last shot of the half was Clive Vaughn who led the big East in rebounding and scoring when you played for us. 
uh-huh. he was going to get that last rebound and a half. Now the one that was bouncing, you know, like he was going to chase that thing down and grab it. Yeah. If it was a shot, he was going to get yeah. that last mark. Yeah. Uh, hey, 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 just one point on that. Hey, Jay, I still today don't understand how you, you know those balls that bounce off the rim and 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 the defensive dudes like standing there and lets it roll out so that they can get the possession. No way, I'm grabbing that. That's a rebound. Damn right. Damn right. Sorry, Seth. I'm happy both of you guys are greedy rebounders. Um, <laughs> Sheboy's feet are the thing that – like, he got, he had two steals yesterday in passing lanes where he's sitting there and trying to get the ball reversed. He sits in the stance. He's open to the ball. He sees – and he just gets a deflection and chases it. I mean, it's incredible, really, what he what he does. Yeah. I, th- I think I think there are some tough matchups for, for Kentucky, though. I, th- I, th- I think that – the speed of the game, when you talk about the speed of the game, two different speeds. Kentucky's running to get a layup. Yes. Kentucky's running just <laughs> advanced pass, quick open three in the corner. Yes. Kansas runs it to flatten you sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then once they flatten you, it's mm-hmm. quickly dribble handoff, quickly reverse, <laughs> and they're flowing right into their stuff. It's, you know, yeah. dribble handoff, pin down the weak side, sprint out ball screen, boom, dive, and, and they're playing. And that's going to put a lot of pressure because does Kellen Grady guard Oshabaji? Who does Jacob Toppin guard? Uh, so if he, if he guards Jalen Wilson, then how do they get this? Does Kellen Grady get stuck there? Well, that's going to put Ty Ty Washington potentially or Davion Mitz on Oshabaji. Uh, and when that dude's get, c- coming off those dribble handoffs, <laughs> off those dribble handoffs, first of all, most times he's getting a pin down first. Yes. And then the dribble handoffs come. And so he gets, yes. he does a great job of taking one hard step and just freezing that guy just for a second, getting him leaning. Like, how did he get that shot against Texas Tech? They should have played above him. That's great. Texas Tech played <laughs> off. But he he got that one little step, boom, and got that defender leaning. And then here, and he gets that thing off. So that's Ty Ty Washington having to guard him. Yes. I like Jacob Toppin on, 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 uh, on Jalen Wilson, but that puts Kellen Grady on Christian, Christian Brown. Those are some tough, tough matchups. So the speed of the game, two teams that are going to run, but but yep. run and flow as opposed to John's going to run and get into a set. So I think it's, it's, it's going to be a fascinating game. I'm so excited to be out. You know, Jay, you, you're, you've been doing it. But Fonz and I, we haven't been outside our house in, in two years. We've been on the couch. Yeah, we've been on, yeah. Well, I was on the couch last week. And America so. thanks you for that. I was on the, on the couch after saying ass on national TV the other day. I did, it did not get a good review on uh, 34 Stockbridge, I can tell you that much. <laughs> Jay, you couldn't go upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> it, was not, it was not well reviewed, I can promise you that. Four women in my family going, what were you thinking? <laughs> I can say I can say that all I want. But what I cannot say in my household is if I say, boy, that, that guy's very unique. My wife will crush me because she was an English major and she will tell me all the time. Will you stop saying that? There are no gradations to unique. You can't be very unique, or really unique or the most unique. You're either unique or you're not. She loves to wear me out. All right, hey, one one other game in, in the SEC Big Twelve. I, I, I'm I'm really excited about the game. I'm excited. I hope it. I think it'll be a great game. Two teams that are offensively challenged at times. Two teams that really play defend hard. Um, but the bigger story is like Rick Barnes going back to Texas. Mm. I hope that they do something to 
like you know, Rick Barnes left on his, I don't know if it was his own accord, not own accord. I don't know exactly, you know, how that, again, the semantics of how it worked out. But uh, what he did at Texas, I think people have a better appreciation for. Mm-hmm. And um, look, that guy's just a good dude. And, and you know, I understand that's a great matchup because it, you know, has a, has a, has a story. We always want to tell stories. But I, I just think, Forget about the game. I think that's going to be a unique kind of – I think it's going to be a kind of a cool – Rick's not the most emotional dude in the world, but uh, it kind of gently – Rick, I think that's going to be a pretty emotional day for him. And I think they'll treat him extraordinarily well, as they should, and right. he'll have a blast because he loved it there and still loves it there. He's got a ton of friends there. Um, raised his kids there. I mean, he's been, he was there for, 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 you know, forever. Years and, you know, look, Tom Penders did a great job there. Abe Lemons did a great job there. Nobody did a better job than Rick. Nobody yeah. did. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, they'll honor that. I'm, I'm confident of that. Uh, and I'm confident it'll be a great experience for him. It'll be better if he wins, yeah. but, uh, but it'll be, <laughs> great. I think the whole thing will be a great experience. Look, there's nobody that I know in the game that gets it better than Rick does. Yeah. And uh, and, you know, that's why he was given an honorary doctorate at Lenore Ryan College. Uh, and <laughs> can, you, can you imagine that he's got an he's got an honorary doctorate at Lenore Ryan. And I promise you it's a doctorate of letters and they're grouped together by four. <laughs> <laughs> Either that and he probably gave a speech on go to the ropes. Or get on the treadmill. <laughs> <laughs> and I who started that. that? Well, who started the treadmill thing? Was it Patino? Yes. Uh, instead of making them run, the, the, and making them run the you know suicide or something and beat their legs right. up, he'd put them on the treadmill and they they dial that For thing. Out. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Patino introduced it, but yeah. Hugs basically um, he basically took it to another level. Mm. Well, and Rick with the treadmill. So Grant Williams uh, played for Rick at, at Tennessee and Grant Williams mother is a NASA engineer in Houston. So she sent Grant a care package with a bunch of, you know, caramel popcorn and, and all this different, you know, sweet stuff that 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 a mom would send to a kid uh, that she misses. And and Rick intercepted it because, you know, they're were, they were trying to get Grant to eat better and improve his body and all that stuff. So Rick had had Grant on the treadmill and ate Grant's stuff while he was running. <laughs> like that's Barnes. That's the kind of stuff Barnes does. That's wrong. Oh, that's I, I, I've never experienced that, fellas. I, I, we college we ran, pros we ran until my last two years in Miami, and uh, we had a veteran crew. And so I'm just for sure Pat Riley's going to put us on the line and make us run. He used to send us over to the bikes. And I thought it was going to be easy. It was dreadful because <laughs> you had to get your heart rate up to like 140, 150 because he used to do all these strange calculations to find out what your max heart rate was and all of that stuff. I think I would have preferred to run <laughs> instead of being over on bikes. Well, hey, that's going to be a great game. Baylor, Alabama is going to be a great game. But we got a new little segment. Mm. Taylor, can you uh, kind of describe our new segment? Uh-oh. All right, boys. Well, we've been kicking something around, and Seth, you love the phrase lettuce, and it's uh, you know lettuce. Not that I have any, but I love lettuce. It's it's a very funny funny turn of phrase to describe someone's hair. So, because this is a uh, follically related podcast here, um, careful, careful. We're multi we're multi platform now. It's fair. It's fair. So. 
uh, every week, about every week, we're going to do something. Uh, I, we need a noodle name here, um, but we are going to identify who has lettuce or who is losing it or whose lettuce is wilting, who has no lettuce at all. Um, you guys going to bring to the table a coach, a team, a player um, mm-hmm. to fall into one of those categories. And if they've got lettuce, we're going to hear this sound. Who doesn't love? Lots of lettuce. And if they don't have it. (laughs) The most important thing to take a look at is the status of your lettuce. And as you can see here, it doesn't look too nice underneath. Doesn't look too nice underneath. That's uh, what you guys were probably looking at at some point. We know that feeling, Taylor. Yeah. So so don't be triggered when I play that sound. Um, It is for the people you're talking about. So uh, without further ado, please. All right, Fonz, Fonz, who's got lettuce in your mind? Who's got a good Uh, head of lettuce? I'm going to go off the board a little bit and go with the player. Texas Tech's Bryson Williams. Who doesn't I know they didn't win at Kansas. (laughs) 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 And the reason is, is is part of their emergence has been they've needed a dude who can kind of get buckets for them. They can get stuck sometimes on the offensive end. And Bryson Williams has been absolutely terrific. They lost against Kansas in a close one, but he went for 33, 6, 8, 240 pounds transfer from Fresno State. And uh, that dude, man, he's made a huge difference on the offensive end for Texas Tech. I'm going to go with the Boise State Broncos. Ooh, good choice. Who doesn't love lots of lettuce? There we go. The Boise State Broncos, <laughs> coached by Leon Rice, who is a former Gonzaga assistant, was with Mark Few. Uh, for for a really long time. So Boise State, who plays in the Taco Bell Arena, my favorite named wow. arena because I spent my youth at Taco Bell. My brother had a job there when I was a kid, uh, <laughs> and uh, and the place got robbed while he was working there. So he he stopped working there, which was a profound disappointment for me. Uh, <laughs> but Boise State, uh, they've won twelve in a row. They are wonderful to watch offensively. Uh, there are a lot, you know, they have some similarities to. Uh, to Gonzaga and to uh, to Arizona and some of the stuff that they run the way they run it. Uh, Marcus Shaver is probably their best player, um, and they've got Emmanuel Acott that transferred in there. Um, they're they're legit. They're 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 very very good, and uh, and I think they're an NCAA tournament team that is is undervalued out there. And they're old. That's yeah. an old team. And I mean, they, well, got, and, they start four and, seniors and, and a freshman. A freshman yeah. from uh, from Spokane is really good. And Leon Rice has got to be in the top 10 of funniest coaches in basketball, not just college basketball. I was playing with Leon in a golf tournament in uh, Spokane at a Gonzaga event. And uh, this is back when Judd Heathcote was, was living because he lived in Spokane. And, uh, and he, he, we saw him and, uh, and Leon says, uh, hey, coach, how you doing? And he says, uh, he says, not good, Leon. I was, you know, I, I, I fell down the other day and he said, I was putting my club. I finished the first hole. I made a par and I'm going back to the cart. And I, I went to put my club in the back, the back of the cart in my bag and I missed the bag and I fell forward face first on the on the pavement. And he started going, you know, Judd kind of started going into all the injuries he had from it. And as soon as he finished, you know, that long list of, of maladies he had from his fall, uh, Leon said, well, how'd the second hole go? and and i lost it i mean it was just like the perfect thing to say all right let's go to some lettuce here give me a little lettuce music right here who doesn't love lots of lettuce it's just a sea (laughs) of greens well i'll tell you who's got a good lettuce and he's actually changed the look of his lettuce personally but marquette right now 
Taka's smart, by the way. You know, he went from the shaved dome, you yes. know, looking very handsome, by the way, the shaved dome, to now he let that thing grow out. He looks like a totally yeah. different person, but I'll tell you what isn't different. His Marquette team, I think seven in a row, they have a little bit of the identity of his VCU teams. They got a little edge. Lewis is really good. Uh, you know, Marcel's playing really hard. And my man, Colin, is as good a passer. So good. Pastor is in the country. <laughs> Tyler Colin, that dude, I mean, that left-hander, off the bounce, drops time, sees the whole court. That's a good-looking head of lettuce on Marquette. All right, real quickly, we're, we're going to do all three. Give us the, the, the bad lettuce. The bad. Throw me some bad lettuce. I removed this one outer leaf. It's a little bit wilted. You can even feel that it's very weak and limp. So we're just going to take that and discard that. Yeah, I got. I'm, I'm going to go real quickly. My pick is uh, Arizona State and Bobby Hurley. That's not a good head of lettuce right now for them. I mean, although if, if I got uh, suspended for a game, my team would have celebrated. Obviously, his team missed it <laughs> and and continued to lose. But that 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 place is struggling. Who you got, Fonz? On a bad I don't think I have a bad. I don't got a bad head of lettuce this week. It's, it's all good this week for me. Sam. You are too nice. That's Classic ridiculous. Fun. Throw somebody, <laughs> throw throw somebody on the go. bus. You know, Bill and I are going to have someone with a bad head. <laughs> throw somebody under the bus. Uh, my my uh, my negative head of lettuce. What are we calling this? The negative head of you know bad head of bad lettuce. Head, um, bad head. Yeah. I'm going to go with a team that I think is really good, but has lost four out of six, and that's Alabama. And mm-hmm. the one thing about Alabama is I think the Crimson Tide need. And I realize, look, I realize they lost Herb Jones. I get it, but they can defend better than they're defending, and uh, and I think that's the difference. And you know they're going to score. But they they can't go through a season trying to outscore people, and uh, and I don't know if Nate Oates would agree with me on this, but um, I just don't see. I have not seen in the last several games uh, the the same defensive intensity. Look, everybody goes through ebbs and flows through the course of the season. You know, things happen, but um, they're they're better than their defense is playing or has played in certain games, and uh, and they play with such a free mind on offense, and and they have such a um, a great flow to what they do. And they're so hard to deal with because they can shoot it from anywhere, anytime. And they're athletic, but their athleticism, they, they, they should, I think they should be a little bit better defensively. And, and that, that would lead to, you know, they wouldn't have a four out of six streak. Yeah. They, they lost Primo. They lost Jones, even John Petty, an experienced defender. Mm-hmm. They, they're not shooting a great quitter. He's four for 20 and it was last 25, four for 25 yeah. for the last few games. But, but don't you think the defense contributes oh, to that? 100%, like I, 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 I'm a, yeah, I know you guys are too, but I think we're all believers that 100%. offensive performance is often uh, dictated by, by the way you defend. And, uh, and, you know, there, there are some great offensive teams out there that can improve defensively, but but if you're not if you're not defending at a high level, I do think it can negatively affect your offense. I totally agree since, with you. Since you guys have been such Debbie Downers, all, all right, I, I'll, I'll give you one. We had to bad. shame you into being mean. You had to shame me into it. My, 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 mine is more of like disappointment lettuce, <laughs> and, and that's Virginia Tech. I literally I literally thought Virginia Tech was going to be probably the third or fourth best team in the ACC this year, and they've just flat out struggled. You know, Hunter Couture is a good shooter, but Storm Murphy's been inconsistent at the point guard spot. Their lack of depth across the front line has hurt them at times. And I feel almost bad for them because they play so hard. But in the last six, seven minutes of the game, those uh, aspects of the game that they're weak at just come through and they, they just can't close. I feel so bad for them. And 
Liberty. They're one of those teams, Fonts, that I think because Virginia Tech's been kind of confounding. I think they're two and six in the league. If I and lost their first four in the league. Yes. And I, I thought not only did I think they were going to be a top 25 team yes. uh, all, all year long, um, they're one of those teams, uh, I would say, like off the top of my head, Virginia Tech and Northwestern that mm-hmm. are better than their records. Yes. Like I think they're significantly better than their records. Yes. But the, but the last thing that's really confounding is, as you know, Fonz, Virginia Tech is the easiest place on the planet to win. And I mean, you know, Seth Greenberg won two <laughs> ACC Coach of the Year awards at Virginia Tech. I mean, how much easier could it be? Right? They got some dudes. Hey, hey Fonz, we set a high yeah. standard. It's just it's hard, <laughs> it's hard to live up to it. I can tell you, though, Virginia Tech is a place that once you have a really good year, uh, yeah. like uh, validating that year, sure. it's almost like, you know, you make a birdie and then you got to validate it with a, uh-huh. you know, and not make a double boat. It's hard because you have a small margin of error and, and, you know, they don't have a ton of players. They don't have rim protection. You know, that, you know, Mike's the one thing, the difference between Virginia Tech now and Virginia Tech when I was there is that like Mike has the ability. And I always say when your team goes south, it really, really challenges you. Like my last year, I did it. I did an absolutely crappy job with a young team of kind of nurturing them along. And I, if I did, I, it's one of the things I most regret. You know, I was I, I was harder on them as opposed to nurturing. Sure. Because I, I won with those freshmen, the last two iterations of freshmen, mm-hmm. and I, I didn't figure it out with this. Mike is much more nurturing. Yeah. I mean, how like, did he, you take, he, Seth, Seth, how did you take, and not just, a, you know, talking about your last year, and that's really, you know, obvious, it's moving to hear you say that, but yes, throughout the course of your coaching career, how did you deal with with losses? Like, like, w- w- did you internalize it and stay up all night and beat yourself up? How, how did you handle it? You know, it's interesting, Jay. Uh, my first year as I had coach at Long Beach, we had a bad year, and I, I did that. Uh, it was I was terrible. I mean, I, I to the point I was exhausted. In fact, I had this conversation with my my Hopkins about two months ago, and I was not, I was I was no use to my team. Mm-hmm. because I'd film and film and watch and this and that. And, and by the time I got to practice, I was exhausted. Yeah. And I was really, really good. Pretty, I was pretty good between then and, and quite honestly, that last year at Virginia Tech, I, I, I really worked at it. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, in my mind, I said, I got to enjoy this. Mm-hmm. Like a simple thing, like even like we had the game day, like we had you guys over. I, mean, yeah. I, was, I was much more relaxed. Sure. And it was a funny thing. And, you know, we had pretty good consistency. We had a five-year run. We won, you know, a bunch of, a lot of games and a lot of league games. That last year, I had all those young kids. And I think the previous five years and the expectation that it was going to be easier, that, you know, we won with Zabe when he was a freshman, Jermon, and we won with Malcolm and Jeff. And so in my mind, I think, and it sounds silly, my expectation was we'll figure this thing out. We got off to a good start. And we hit that hiccup at Wake Forest and I internalized it. And instead of saying, all right, you're going to lose some games. We practiced harder. We practiced longer. We, and, and for me, and this is the mistake I, I say it all the time. I, I, I literally call every single guy that becomes a head coach at, for the first time. And like, the only thing I cared about was we were, we were going to be play hard and defend and you remember, Jay, you did a bunch of our games. We lost every game in the last five, last two or three minutes because we absolutely were horrendous in late game situations because I ignored it. So Seth, let me, let me ask you this. So I, I've been thinking, it was bad. I've been thinking, it was bad. 
I've been thinking about, um, you know, with this Coach K thing getting toward, you know, I think that the game against uh, Clemson was he's only got three more home games. And so, you know, we're building toward the end of the year. And I'm kind of thinking in the back of my mind when we get down to the last regular season game, you know, and there's going to be a lot, obviously a lot of fanfare around it. So I'm thinking about, well, what question, you know, do you sit down and interview someone? What questions are you going to ask? Like, I'm, you know, I'm not going to ask him, like, well, what's your best win? You know, why do you ask a guy with a thousand wins what his best win is? So, but I, I, I one of the questions I, I thought about asking him was, what, 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 looking back, what's the most fulfilling thing for you in your coaching career? And, and that's what, what I want to ask you now, when, when you look back on your coach, what's the most fulfilling thing for you from your, your coaching career? It's uh, this is so funny. You know what the coolest thing is, and it's a sad thing. Uh, it happened this week. I get emotional. This is, one of our guys died. Brian Camper died a couple of weeks ago. Who played for us. He was a Lakewood high school kid. And we have each one of my teams. I have, we have these, group text messages. And so the funeral was last week. And, you know, obviously we're all, a bunch of the guys were Paul Bears and this and that. And I got a text last week from Kevin Cutler, who's an official in the NBA. It's the, on the group text and basically said, coach, we're a family because of you, you brought us all together and we look after each other and we care for each other because that's what, who we are. And it's because of you you're our dad and, you know, the impact you had on all of us, like it was, you know, I'm reading the thing, wow. I'm crying, you know, I, you know, wow. I get emotional. And sure. that, you know what, the big, I think the biggest thing is coach can look back at he's won championships, hung banners, did all those things. It's you guys. It's you guys. It's, it's the relationship and the impact and him seeing the guys whose lives he touched where they are now and what they're doing and their families and their kids and how they're still together. Like, you know, I, you know, I joke about the brotherhood thing, but like getting that text from Kevin on that group text is like, yeah, I mean, look, I, and I was hard on, on those guys. Like we did something right because those guys are still together. And I, I actually related to, I have the same text with all my teammates in college mm. and coach LaBaba, who's obviously coach, coach K you know, we, you know, he, he was, you know, like I thought my name was son of a, <laughs> I mean, and, 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 I, 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 and I shared that, you know, I said to, I said to these guys, and you're talking about the, the group of guys on that, on that, on that text change from 10 years before I was to coaches last year. And I said, you know, we all bitch and moan about the old man and he was a son of a, he, but we were son of a, but he must've done something right because like I graduated 44 years ago and we still, we, we, we text each other every single week, every one of us. Yeah. Wow. I wouldn't trade, you wouldn't trade that for the world. And that's, cool. wouldn't trade uh, Al, and that's all because of coach. Yeah. Al LaBalbo was one of the all time greats. Oh. You know, I, I met him when he was at St. John's with uh, Karnaseka. And uh, I mean, he was, a, he was really the guy that invented ball, you man concept, man. right? Yeah. I got the book, the little booklet with the devil on on, on on the cover. But I mean, like coach was hard and, you know, coach was an amazing guy because he knew I wanted a coach and, you know, typical the way he was, he, you know, he brought me in my senior year day before our last practice. And he brought me in. Of course, he said, all right, you little son of a. <laughs> <laughs> True story. This is this is this is all my children. He goes, he goes, someday you're going to have your own team. He goes, when you have your own team, you're going to do the same we're doing every single day. And you're going to say the old man 
he knew what he was doing. <laughs> and when he, when he, when he, I was still coaching when he was living and like, you know, he would, if we had a good win, you know, he wouldn't ever call me during after the good win. He would leave a message, you know, with someone that like, you know, basically saying the exact same thing. And that, you know, that like I told my guys, I said, like, we can complain and like we have crazy stories because I mean, he was an old school, but like there's a hundred of us on this chain and we're, and we've all, we're all better off. We didn't realize it at the time, but we're all better. And I think, I think, I don't know. That's, that's what I miss from coaching. You know, and, yeah. and that's what I think coach, I'm sure eight zillion of the foreign players are going to be there. He's going to look and he's going to see that's, I mean, look at my guys. That's, you know, they're, they've been our family for, and there's nothing better than that, man. I mean, that's, that's that's the thing that you don't realize in the moment, but and today this week it just resonated. When Kevin sent me that, I was like, "Oh my god!" Wow, yeah, that's powerful. That's powerful. Yeah, that's and you you remember what Coach Labalbo told you? I always remember what Coach K told me late game in a huddle when he drew a play up, and uh, and and he told me, "Look, when you set the screen, you're going to be wide open after you set the screen, <laughs> and and if you get the ball, call timeout." <laughs> <laughs> no, hey, 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 Coach Lowe called me. We're playing Brad's team, American University, and they're playing zone. Jimmy Lottis, coach, is playing zone. I got the ball at the top. I reverse it, I reverse it, reverse it. I had to shoot it eventually, but they weren't guarding me. So I shoot it, I miss it. He jumps up and he calls the timeout. And this is a true story. And he leans over, he's about an inch from my face, and he goes, What were you thinking? And I said, Coach, I was wide open. He goes, That's there's a blanking reason you were right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like we leave the huddle. My roommate, Jay Jorgensen, he's an attorney. He's a brilliant guy. He's a great guy. And Jorgie goes, that didn't go well, Greeny. <laughs> the font, font, Seth, Fonz can't even relate to this because, you know, his coach has just kissed his ass the whole time. Are you okay, Fonz? Can we get to the ball more? Are you like it in this spot? Would you rather have it turned to your right hand or your left hand? Oh, shoot. That's good stuff. As it should be. <laughs> hey, all you said is, is if you want to win, put me in. Exactly. <laughs> Our guy, Coach Law said to me, if we want to win, sit next to me. 